you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to turn to Psalm 103. We'll be looking at the first five verses of this all-important psalm. And as you're turning there, I would like to, to share with you a poem. When I was growing up, uh, I used to sit in my bedroom and sit in my grandfather's rocking chair that I, he gave to me or that I sort of inherited, and, and I would listen to Southern gospel music. And at this time, they were cassettes. We didn't have CDs or iPhones or anything like that. So I listened to this one particular recording, and it's been one of my favorite all times. Uh, it was recorded live in Atlanta by the Cathedral Quartet. And before one of the songs, uh, We Are So Blessed, George Yontz, who was the bass singer, uh, quoted this poem. And I think it's appropriate this morning, and I want to, to quote it if I may. It says, today upon a bus, I met a lovely girl with golden hair. I envied her. She seemed so happy, and I wished that I were as fair. When suddenly she rose to leave, I saw her hobble down the aisle. She had one leg and wore a crutch. But as she passed, she smiled. Oh, God, forgive me when I whine. I have two legs, and the world is mine. And later on my way to work, I stopped to buy some sweets, and the lad who sold them had such charm. I talked with him a while. If I relate, it would do no harm. And then as I left, he said to me, Thank you, sir. You've been so kind. It's nice to talk to folks like you. You see, he said, I'm blind. Oh, God, forgive me when I whine. I have two eyes, and the world is mine. And later walking down the street, I saw a child with eyes of blue. He stood and he watched the others play. He seemed he didn't know what to do. And I yelled, why don't you join the others, dear? He looked straight ahead without a word. And then I knew he couldn't hear. Oh, God, forgive me when I whine. I have two ears and the world is mine. With legs to take me where I'd go with eyes to see the sunsets glow, with ears to hear what I would know. Oh God, forgive me when I whine. I'm blessed indeed, and the world is mine. What an incredible poem. You know, we don't have to look too far to see the blessings that the Lord has given us. You know, I'm glad this morning when I woke up, I could hear. I'm glad that when I opened my eyes this morning that, that I could see. I'm glad this morning that when my, when my feet hit the ground that, that I could walk. I'm glad that I woke up in a home. I'm glad I went to the closet and I had clothes to put on. I'm glad I went to the breakfast table and I had food to eat. I'm glad that I, I have a job to go to. But this morning, I want us to think about something much deeper than these physical blessings. Because let's be honest, if we get old enough, our eyesight's going to go. Our hearing's going to go. Our mobility is going to go. And all the things that we have accumulated in this life will rust and decay and destroy. I don't want to diminish these blessings, though. 
But I want us this morning to focus and concentrate on the blessings that David mentions in this psalm, the blessings that are a lifetime, the blessings that are eternal. So if you would, stand with me as we read together Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5. David says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Let us pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you have shown your blessings to us. And I pray in the time that we have together this morning, as we look at these five verses, God, that you would teach us what we should be for and how we should be thankful. Lord, you're a great God, and you've lavished many things upon us, and we return thanks to you. God, help us to examine our hearts and our lives, God, to see in us if there is uh, an unthankful way in us. And so, God, I pray most of all that the name of Jesus is exalted and that we come into, into your presence through him and through him alone. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just recently, uh, we celebrated Caroline's 19th birthday. I'm like, man, where in the world has 19 years gone? It seems like yesterday... Uh, we were in the birthing room at Watauga Medical Center. Uh, we were at our first church, Mount Vernon Baptist Church in Boone. It was only a couple of miles away from the hospital, so it seems like we had half the church there with us at Watauga Medical Center. Matter of fact, we probably, no lie, had about 12 people in the birthing room at one time. That probably wasn't a wise decision for me to let them in the birthing room, but nonetheless... We actually had a lady who was looking at the contraction monitor. She was the contraction monitor monitor. And she was looking at the monitor and she would give us a play-by-play and say, hey, here comes another one and it's going to be a big one. Well, Molly being gracious as she is, she, she looked at me and said, Kevin, honey, will you take me to the bathroom? And I said, yeah, sure. So we uh, get up and we go to the bathroom and we shut the door And she looked at me and she said, get them out. (laughs) Get them out now. So I flung the door open. I was like, get out of here. We're having a baby. And sure enough, yeah, only an hour or two later, we had Caroline. You know, I remember that like it was yesterday. I remember the details to that. I remember the details that surrounded the day that I got married. I remember the details today that we had our son, Jay. You see, because we remember the things that are important to us. And so this morning is a call to remember that which is most important to us. It's nothing physical. It's all spiritual in what the Lord has done for us that is found in this psalm. But let's be honest. Sometimes we, we tend to forget Or we tend just not to even think about it. Listen to what the preacher's homiletic commentary says. It says, Memory treasures all things, loses nothing. We treasure that in our memory in which we are most interested. The miser remembers anything that will assist him in accumulating money. 
The grateful heart remembers benefits, but in a depraved human nature, there is a sad tendency to forget benefits. And so this morning, the call is this. Let's simply remember and let's simply be thankful for all that the Lord has done for us. You see, this is a psalm written by David who was uh, a man after God's own heart. I mean, I would consider him pretty high up there in, in, in Christianity, right? In Christendom, we consider David a man after God's own heart. So here he is saying, I need to remind myself of the benefits of God. So I think we would do well as people in the body of Christ to remind ourselves as well of the benefits that are listed in these first five verses. So the first thing that I want us to remember this morning is the name of God. I really believe that we should just be thankful for the name or names of God. Look with me in verse 1. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Now we could park it right here and land the plane and just talk about how perfect God is in his character, about how perfect God is in his attributes, about how perfect God is in everything that he does, and about how perfect he is in his names. My name's Kevin. It means kindness. And I try to be kind at all times, but to be honest with you, there are times that I'm not. Just ask the people on I-85 or ask the people that I'm traveling on the highway with. They don't understand that I'm the only person on the road. You've never been there, right? But my name means kindness. But the truth is, I am not perfect in kindness. And what I want us to understand this morning that led David to say, bless the Lord on my soul and all that it was within me, bless his holy name, is he knows that God's names are perfect. They describe him. And not only do they describe him, they help us this morning. One of the names that I want us to recall is Elohim. Elohim is the all-powerful creator. God is the all-powerful creator of the universe and everything that you and I see, he knows all, he creates all, and he's in power over all of it. It is the, the, the name for God that is listed over 2,300 times in Scripture. Matter of fact, it's found in Genesis 1-1 that said, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so it is the God who, who, who placed the stars where, where they go. And we're, we're not, we've not even discovered everything in, in all the galaxies out there. But he is the God who has not only placed the stars there, he's named them. He has power over all of creation. He's the one that said, you know, mountains, you go this high. Waters, you stop right here. Trees, you go right here. And he is the one who was in control of your birth. He is the one that's in control of your life. No matter what kind of circumstance that you find yourself in this morning, whether good or bad, he is in control. Oh, bless the Lord. Oh, my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. I am glad he is Elohim this morning. Secondly, God is Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies who always fulfills his purposes. Throughout Scripture, God's people would call on Jehovah Sabaoth in times of despair. 
It is the name of God that is used in 1 Samuel 17, verse 45, where David says to Goliath, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of, the, of, the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. You see, at this point in Israel's history, they were in a desperate situation. If they were going to lose the battle to the Philistines, they were going to have to be the Philistine slaves. And so they were in a desperate situation. They found themselves in a desperate situation. And then comes uh, along David who slays the giant and delivers them from their desperate situation. And we know that David is nothing but a future Christ. It's a foreshadowing. All the Old Testament heroes point to the future Christ. And because Christ has, is, is a foreshadowing or has been a foreshadowing of what David did in the Old Testament, Christ did for us in the New Testament. He is Jehovah Sabaoth. He has come to us in our desperate situations and said, Listen, I not only know your desperate situations, but I'm well equipped to handle your situation. I am well equipped to handle your desperation, whether it be financial hardship this morning. God is well equipped to handle that. Whether it be a physical hardship this morning, God is, is, is well equipped to handle that. If, if it's a relational uh, issue, God is well equipped to handle Whatever desperate situation that you find yourself in this morning, he is Jehovah Sabaoth. Oh, bless the Lord, oh, my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. The third name for God is El Roi, the God who sees. There are no circumstances in our lives that he is not aware of and that he does not care about. God knows us, and he knows our trouble. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. He sees and he cares about your hurt. He sees and he cares about your pain. He sees and he cares when you cry. He sees and he cares when you feel defeated. He sees and he cares. He is the God who sees. He is El Roi. The God who sees. Oh, bless the name of the Lord this morning. Bless his holy name this morning. We could go on and on and on and just discuss the names of God and how he's perfect in all of these ways. But the last one that I want to mention this morning, because of time's sake, is Jehovah Rohi. Should be very familiar to us because it's the name of God found in Psalm 23. In other words, it is God is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, which communicates to us that he is our protector, that he is our provider, and that he is our careful leader. Psalm 23, 1 through 3 says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. He is the one who provides for us. He is the one who offers direction for us. He is the one that when we feel lost, he leads us in the paths of righteousness. He is our leader, and he's not only our leader, he is our perfect leader. He is Jehovah Roy. Oh, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Are you thankful for his name this morning?
because he's perfect in all of them. We can't put our trust in anything else that's going to satisfy us like Jesus Christ. He's perfect. Well, not only do we need to be thankful for his name this morning, we need to be thankful for his forgiveness. Verse 3 says, Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases. So here in this verse, our greatest need in life is met. You know, our greatest need is not a house. Our greatest need is not the clothes that we wear. Our greatest need is not, is not a car. Our greatest need is not money. Our greatest need is not health. But our greatest need is to know that we are forgiven for our sins through what Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary. And because I've replaced my faith in Him and repented of my sins, my sins are forgiven and I can stand before God one day clean and whole because only that which Jesus Christ has done. He has forgiven me of my sin. In youth, on Thursday mornings, we're studying the book of 1 John. And 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 is a great example of how Jesus is our advocate and how Jesus is our propitiation that all describe his wonderful, magnificent forgiveness that he offers to us. Listen to these two verses that says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. I was commenting on this verse the other night in youth group, and, and, I, and I got a little emotional as I was talking about it. And I explained this verse uh, like in a courtroom setting where in the courtroom we have God as the judge because it is his courtroom and that's very scriptural because he is the God of the universe and he's the God of our souls. He's the judge of the universe and so he's the judge of our souls and so he is in his high court sitting on his throne and then there's me in the courtroom, the defendant. Then also in the courtroom is our accuser, our enemy, the devil. And the devil looks at the judge and says, Judge, I know this man. I know this man has broken your law. I know this man has sinned against your commandments. I know that he deserves all the punishment that you can dish out to him. He is guilty, Your Honor. You know what? He'd be right. Because I am. I am. I've messed up, and I'll mess up again. But in walks the fourth character of the story, and he is my divine attorney. He is my advocate. And he goes to the judge, and he says, Oh, but judge, listen here. I was there the day that Kevin Knight knelt at the altar at First Baptist Church of Hudson, North Carolina, and he confessed me as his Savior. And because I died on the cross at Calvary, my blood covered his sin. My blood forgave him of all his sin. And now, Father, he can come into your presence clean and whole because I absorbed all of your wrath on the cross. I shed my blood for him, and his blood is, and his life is covered in my blood. Therefore, he can come into your presence. I'm thankful this morning for the forgiveness of God. I didn't do anything to deserve it. Not a thing. 
Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. You know that when God forgives our sins, he blots them out. Isaiah 43, 25 says, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. On New Year's Eve, when Jay was three years old, we were at our house and we were watching a movie. And Jay was paying attention about like he always does. He wasn't. He was fidgeting. He always fidgets. He has to have something that he fidgets with all the time. Well, this time, I mean, we were trying to watch the movie and he's just jumping up and down on the couch. I mean, you know, just having a good old time. We couldn't watch the movie. And one time he tried to jump from the couch to the chair, but he missed. And he fell and he hit his head on the corner of the coffee table and slid his head wide open. And so I picked him up and I, and I embraced him to, to, to my chest and, and we get in the car and I hand him off to, uh, to, to Molly and, and then we're traveling. This is one of these times that I wasn't kind on the road. Let me tell you that. I was ready to get to the hospital. And we got to the hospital and the doctor sewed him up. And before, before we left, he looked at me because I had on a pale yellow sweatshirt that was soaked in my son's blood. And he looked at me and he said, you don't want to how to get that out? I said, no, nah, that's okay. No, I said, yeah, I want, I want to know how to get that out. I said, because I have a lot of it on my carpet too. Back home, he says, when you get home, get you some hydrogen peroxide and pour it on that yellow sweatshirt where the blood is and pour it on that carpet where the blood is and it'll come right out. And sure enough, I did that and not a trace of blood was left. Jesus blots out all our sin. Jesus does not just blot out some of our sin. Jesus does not just blot out the sin that we committed yesterday. Jesus blots out all the sins that we committed yesterday, the sins that we commit today, and the sins that we will forever commit until we stand before him in glory. Jesus forgives all our iniquity. He stands ready to forgive. He's eager to forgive, and he wants to forgive, and he extends that forgiveness to all of us this morning. Do you know his forgiveness? Do you know that all your sins are forgiven? If you do, then say with me, oh, bless the Lord, oh, my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Well, forgiveness also carries its benefits. Right? You look with me in the second part of verse 3. It says, who heals all of your diseases. You see, many people would think the, the diseases part here is a physical disease. That he heals us of physical infirmities. Sometimes God does heal us physically. Sometimes he chooses, us, chooses not to heal us and we're called home to be with him in glory. But it's better understood in this context here, who forgives all your iniquities and who heals all your diseases, that this is something that we have a healing from our spiritual and moral dependence on ourselves. We depend on ourselves so many times, and when we depend on ourselves so many times, we let things like lust and greed and anger and, and despair and gossip and slander and all these things get in the way. But church, listen, you are forgiven by the Son of God who shed his blood for you. Therefore, you have victory over these things in your life. He's healed you of all these diseases. 
Listen to what Isaiah 53, 5 says. It says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his stripes, we are healed. Because we've been forgiven, we need to continue to come to the Lord and say, Oh God, I'm dealing with this. Please help me. You know what? He'll help you. When we set our mind on things that are above, like Paul says in Colossians, when we set our mind on the, on the perfection of God's name, when we set our mind on his forgiveness, when we set his mind on the resurrection and our mind and our focus is there, then he says that we should mortify our flesh. We need to set our mind on these incredible things so that we can mortify our flesh. We need to know where our help comes from this morning. It comes from Jesus. Jesus alone. He is the one who forgives. He is the one who heals our diseases. Well, not only do we need to thank Him for His name, not only do we need to thank Him for His forgiveness, but we need to thank Him that He is the God who redeems. Look at uh, verse 4 with me. It says, He redeems our life from the pit and crowns us with steadfast love and mercy. I know I've told this story before, and some of you have heard it, some of you have not, but it bears repeating because it just, uh, it's just such a great illustration of what it means to have our life be redeemed from the pit. Back in 2014, we took our first youth mission trip to Malawi, Africa. And while we were there, you know, they do things a little differently. You want to know how blessed you are uh, physically, just go to a third world country and, and see how blessed you are physically. But this is not about a physical blessing. This is about being redeemed when your life was in the pit. But when we went there, we, we understood uh, that we didn't use the bathroom there like we did here. I mean, it wasn't like you could stop at any convenience store and say, hey, uh, there's a guy's bathroom and there's a girl's bathroom. It was more or less like, hey, we're pulling off the side of the road. Guys, you get the cornfield to the left. Girls, you get the cornfield to the right. Have at it. And then in public places, though, sometimes they had a long drop. A long drop was a, just a pit. I mean, it was, a, it was a very deep pit. It was covered by a slab of concrete, and it had a hole about uh, 12 inches in diameter, and that's where people went, and they used the bathroom. That was an experience. On the last day, we went to the Good Samaritan Orphanage. And there we saw Dr. Gentry, who is the founder of the orphanage, holding a little baby boy. Not long before this, this little baby boy was rescued. You see, when he was born, his mama didn't want him. And so his mama took him and she threw him in a long drop. Think about this. Think about this baby being thrown into a desperate situation where this baby could not at all help himself and he was covered in the stuff that you can only imagine that he was covered in this morning. And the only way out was when the authorities heard him crying, they go to the long drop and they look down and they see this baby and they bust open the concrete and they fished him out of that long drop. And covered it in that nasty, foul stench. They bathed him in tomato juice. They got that stench off of him. And then they put, they put new clothes on him. And they give him a new name. Because he didn't come with the birth certificate. They gave him the name Little Gentry. And that's how we saw him. 
Do you know the same thing has happened to us? Do you know that your life was redeemed from the pit of despair? Do you know that when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, it was Jesus who rescued you? You knew, you know this morning that when you were blinded to your sin, that God allowed you by his grace to have the conviction of the Holy Spirit to cry out to him. Our life has been redeemed from the pit only through the Lord Jesus this morning. I'm so thankful this morning that God is a God who redeems. And not only does he redeem us, but he clothes us in his steadfast love and he clothes us in his kindness. He clothes us in his mercy. He gives us a new identity. Any man in Christ, the old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. God is a God who redeems. So bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Well, not only should we be thankful for his name, his forgiveness, and his redeeming qualities, but we need to be thankful this morning because he is the God who genuinely satisfies us. Verse 5 says, Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. This means that there is nothing on this earth that can satisfy us as deeply and as genuinely as God himself. You see, the emphasis in this life is on not what we own, but who owns us. To be satisfied means that we are so full of God that we need nothing else. This coming Thursday, I'm going to put away some turkey. I'm going to put away some sweet potatoes. I'm going to put away some just potatoes, potatoes. I'm going to put away some cranberry stuff. I'm going to put away some pumpkin pie. I'm just going to put it all away. They're going to put it out there. I'm going to put it away. I might even have to wear my stretchy pants. And after I've done got my fill, you know what I'm going to do? I'm probably going to go to a couch, and I'm going to watch a little football. I'm going to recline, and then I'm probably going to take a nap. At some point in time, that's a good day right there, right, brother? That is a good day. I know y'all are going to do the same thing, right? But about two hours later, you know what? I'm going to get up, and I'm going to say, hmm, I want some more of that turkey. I want some more of those sweet potatoes. I'm hungry. And I want to go back and I want to eat some more, just like you're going to do. You see, the satisfaction of being full on this earth only lasts for a little while. We're going to get hungry again, and we're going to have to eat. And that's the way that it is when we spend our life chasing other things that never fill us. We spend our life chasing money. We spend our life chasing popularity. We spend our life chasing this, that, and the other thing. Anything that the world has to offer that we chase is a broken cistern. It will always need refilling because it will never fully satisfy the way God has intended for us to be satisfied. And the only way that you and I can be satisfied is to recall this morning how wonderful and how great his name is. We can be satisfied this morning in knowing that our sins are totally forgiven, that all of our sins are blotted out, that he's redeemed our life from the pit. He is the God who gives us peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. Those are the qualities that satisfy us this morning, not the things that our world pursues. Back in the 1970s, the Dallas Cowboys 
had a running back by the name of Dwayne Thomas. And uh, one of the years that they made it to the Super Bowl, they asked Dwayne Thomas, they said, Dwayne, what does it feel like to be playing in the ultimate game? And he gave a response that, you know, sort of sounded like it could come from the Bible. He said, well, how can this be the ultimate game when they play the same game next year? You see, I think what we do and mess up here is that we, we seek satisfaction on things that will never truly satisfy. But God says here that he perfectly satisfies us with not only good things, but eternal things. Oh, he's such a good God. I'm so thankful this morning that he's the God who's satisfied. Oh, bless the Lord. Oh, my soul and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. You know, it's not surprising that you come to church on the Sunday before Thanksgiving and hear a sermon about Thanksgiving and how we should be thankful. It's like when we come to church any other Sunday, we hear, hey, you should read the Bible. Hey, you should pray more. Hey, you should, you should uh, witness. You should live a life of obedience. These are the things that we hear at church. And so it's not surprising that we come on the Thursday before Thanksgiving and hear a sermon on what it means to be thankful. I guess the question that I ask myself and all of us, am I truly thankful? I mean, how often do I really recall these benefits that we've talked about this morning? You know, Moses warned the Israelites in the book of Deuteronomy. He said, take care lest you forget. He says, take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and your gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. The Israelites were guilty of forgetting the blessings of God and from whence they came. Moses declares to them, do not do this. Do not become ungodly. That's in essence what he's saying. Well, Kevin, I'm not ungodly. I don't, I don't do the three big sins. I mean, I, whatever those three big sins are, you know, I, I don't do those things. I'm not, a, I'm, not a, uh, I'm not sexually immoral. I'm not, I'm not a, a, a hater, a gossiper, or a slanderer. I'm not, I'm not judgmental or critical. I'm not these things. So how can you say that you're warning me of being ungodly? I want to suggest a book to you by Jerry Bridges. It's called Respectable Sins. I'd like for you to get that book and, and, and read that book because in it he talks about the sin of ungodliness, forgetting God. And this is what he says. He says, we attend church, avoid scandalous sins, and lead respectable lives. How then can I say that we believers are all to some extent ungodly? Bridges continues, contrary to what we normally think, ungodliness and wickedness are not the same. A person may be a nice 
respectable citizen and still be an ungodly person. How is this? How is this? He goes on to say, now the sad fact that many of us who are believers tend to live our daily lives with little or no thought of God. We may even read our Bibles and pray for a few minutes at the beginning of each day, but then we go out into the day's activities and basically live life as though God does not exist. We seldom think of our dependence on God or our responsibility to Him. We might go for hours with no thought of God at all. In that sense, we are hardly different from our nice, decent, but unbelieving neighbor. God is not at all in his thoughts and seldom in ours. You see, ungodliness is not just simply avoiding the scandalous sins. Ungodliness is living a life without any concern for God's will in your life. Living an ungodly life is a life that is, that is not concerned about God's glory at all. Living a life of ungodliness is simply just going throughout the day and letting the cares of this world take over. That keep you and keep me from living a life of true gratitude. You see, I want, I, I, I want my life, what I do, not just what I say, but I want my life, what I do in my actions to point that I am a thankful and a grateful person. I need that this morning. Do you? Are you grateful this morning? Are you grateful and thankful to the point that you live your life in obedience? Are you grateful and thankful uh, that, that you live your life as consumed by the thoughts of God? Are you grateful this morning for His name? Are you thankful for His forgiveness? Are you thankful for His redemption? Are you thankful that He satisfies like no other? My hope and my prayer is, is that, that we all, as believers who proclaim Jesus' blood over us and His forgiveness, that we truly are a grateful and truly are a thankful person. Well, maybe you're here this morning and your life's still in the pit. You're still in the pit. You're trying everything that you can do to get out of that pit. But you've not done the one thing that can get you out of the pit, and that is trust in the name of the Lord Jesus and clung to him to bring you out of that pit. You don't know him. This morning, why don't you know that Jesus is the way, that he's the truth, and that he's the life, and no one can go to the Father except by him. So this morning, as we stand and sing our invitation, if that is your call to salvation, I pray that you come and you get that right with the Lord. And secondly, this morning, believer, church, my hope and my prayers is that we truly live genuine, thankful lives of gratitude.